Hey everybody, welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntra is here, really excited to welcome back Phil Proctor to the program. Phil is one of the founding members of the Firesign Theater, the counterculture sketch comedy group that broke new ground in the 1960s and continued to perform through the early 2000s. There's two surviving members of the Firesign Theater, Phil and David Osmond, and they continue to perform today great groundbreaking comedy. Younger listeners might know Phil best as Howard from the Rugrats, 14 years of movies and television combined playing Howard on the Rugrats. He's the drunken circus monkey in Eddie Murphy's Dr. Doolittle. He played King Gerard on the Smurfs. He's had this incredible show business life, and he talks about it in great stories collected in his autobiography, Where's My Fortune Cookie? We had Phil on last year to talk about the book, but we're bringing him back because he is starting a brand new podcast. The Proctor Podcast is underway, and it's Phil's storytelling about his incredible show business career, great encounters with celebrities, funny things that happened on the various jobs that he's had. He's really had an incredible life. I mean, he really was living that 1960s experience. And we get into that a bit in a couple of the stories that he shares with us on today's Word Balloon. He also talks about very fun encounters with greats like Phil Hartman and Harry Anderson and just an incredible uh, amount of stories, as you'll hear in this conversation. Really happy to welcome Phil Proctor. Today's Word Balloon is brought to you by the people behind Terrificon coming to Mohegan Sun this August. In a world where fans have grown tired of the same old cookie-cutter Comic-Con formats, only one con defies the odds. Only one Comic-Con stands what fans really want. Only one Comic-Con dares calls itself terrific. That's right. This August 17th through the 19th at the all-new giant-sized Mohegan Sun Expo Center in Uncasville, Connecticut, comes Terrific-Con. Connecticut's Terrific Comic-Con is back with New England's largest gathering of comic book artists and writers. Plus, Terrificon delivers actors from your favorite TV shows and movies. And there's an all-new expanded gaming section as we give you tabletop gaming, video games, and so much more. Plus, don't forget, all kids 10 and under get in free at Terrificon and can be part of the all-new All Yeah Kids Comic Con. Join us for three full days of Comic-Con action only in Connecticut at Terrificon. For more information, go to our website, www.terrificon.com. Really excited to be part of Terrificon. Can't wait to see you there at Mohegan Sun this August. I'll be moderating a few panels and uh, doing what I can to uh, book some of the incredible guests that are going to be there. So uh, looking forward to seeing you in August at Mohegan Sun at Terrificon. All right, let's get into our conversation now with Phil Proctor. Really excited to have him back. Uh, The Proctor Podcast can be found at theproctorpodcast.podbean.com. The first episode is up. A new episode will be launched each week. And you are in for a treat because, as you'll hear right now, Phil is a really great storyteller and has a lot of amazing encounters that he's had in his many decades of his comedy career. So now let's welcome back Phil Proctor to Word Balloon. Always happy to welcome Phil Proctor back. I'm thrilled that I can say that. You're a returning guest, Phil. Welcome back to Word Balloon. It's very nice to be returning, you know, <laughs> and I don't mean in another body or another incarnation. That'd be fun, though. That'd no, I'm, be having fun in, I'm having fun in this one still. I'm so excited for your new podcast. Give us the elevator bitch, pitch. Tell, the elevator bitch. Uh, the, the elevator bitch. Wait a minute. What <laughs> kind of show is this? Hey, man. All right. So anyway, uh, 
Yes, I wrote a book called Where's My Fortune Cookie, which was co-authored with uh, Brad Schreiber, a friend, a friend, a silly friend of mine. Okay. And yeah. it's basically my memoirs, as long as I can still remember things. <laughs> okay, and it's it's uh, uh, partly fire, a story of Firesign Theater, but mainly the story of of me and how I kind of. Uh, found my way through life so far using a combination of of uh, uh, a dumb chance and psychic abilities. Okay, <laughs> which, which which God has either blessed or cursed me with. I'm not quite sure. And uh, uh, about oh three months ago, uh, I got a call from Sue Zizza and her uh, husband David Shin, and they said we want to make a podcast. We want to make an audio book and a podcast of your story. And I said, well, that's just great because I've been looking for some kind of a company to uh, to do a, a book on tape or whatever they call them these days, an audio book. Sure. And and I discovered that basically all that they will do is hire you to read your book. And see, this is – I don't want to do that. I wanted to do something more adventurous. I wanted to add sound effects, <clears throat> maybe some drop-ins from the records I made, uh, uh, music, and various other things. And I also wanted to uh, improve the book because there were some factual errors in it oh. that I wanted to fix, okay? So uh, Sue was absolutely delighted to hear this, and they got completely behind it. And so I flew out. And I sat in their uh, cute little studio down in Brooklyn and recorded the book over a period of like two and a half, three days. And uh, and I haven't even heard it yet because their, their, their master plan uh, is to release it as a podcast on Friday, June the 6th, I think it is. Okay. Uh, okay. And, uh, and it'll be like 24 episodes. And I think you'll be able to access it. Uh, this, you have to pay something for it. I don't know what. Uh, uh, put put money in the bottle and throw it in the ocean. I don't know how they're going to do that. But in any event, uh, it it will uh, it it will be a very interesting uh, uh, um, audio tour of my life. You know, I'm very happy with the way that it that it, it came out, even though I haven't heard it. <laughs> they're doing a lot of post-production i guess yeah 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 i have faith in their post-production uh abilities and i know that they totally agreed with my uh, approach to the to the project so i'm going to hear it for the first time uh with with the people who have come to celebrate my life so far in kansas city at the here now festival uh in the afternoon i think it's from like noon to 145 they're celebrating me whatever that means cool Pro- you know, I, I, I did see that there's a stake and some wood and rope, but I don't think that's for me exactly. I, I don't know. Some other kind of special effect. But in any event, uh, that's what I'll uh, that's where I'll be. And uh, surrounded by friends and fans and family. And uh, it's, it's really going to be a lot of fun to listen to it. And then it will be released as an audiobook, which okay. please no end. Yeah, man, that's no, that's great. And I was curious if. Given your background and everything, and your facility for audio sketch comedy and stuff, if you'd have other actors, will you will will that be part of it, or is it a first person narrative with music and sound effects and the yeah, world? it's it's my story. I may be doing some voices on it, of, oh, course. of course. Yes, possible. But, but no, it's my story. Uh, you know, when you when you, it, however, um, a fellow named Tom Kelly who has a a comic following online. Uh, and, and a podcast of his own. Uh, we hired him to do ins and outs. Okay, sure. so there's 
there's like a wraparound okay. uh, an introduction to each one of the episodes so you'll know where you are in the story and and that we hope that'll attract a, a younger audience to this event as well to this audio event this oral event well I'm, like i said I, I think you're a natural to to uh, dive into podcasting again because of your background um, I've been curious uh, and been, have been thinking about doing a first-person narrative sort of podcast. Have you listened to, like, do you know about You Must Remember This, the Katrina Longworth uh, Golden Age of uh, Hollywood uh, podcast? You know, she's solo for the most part. Occasionally we'll have somebody quote a famous person and throw some voices in. But have you listened to first-person podcasts and which ones, if you have? No, I can't say I have. Uh, I've listened to, to some of my friends like uh, um, uh, Terry McGovern. He sure. does it with his brother Timbo where they, they talk about uh, uh, certain years. They'll pick a year like 1967 or something and rhapsodize on it. And I may actually do one of those with him in the not-too-distant future. And I've done a lot of podcasts yeah. for – people you know uh, i did phil hendry's podcast oh that's you can, great you can imagine how much fun that was i bet oh my you know I, I, i've loved and admired uh, that crazy man for for many years and he was actually sitting up here in my house recording it and we just had a wonderful time and you know kind of continued this this uh, uh on and off friendship that we've had over all these years so yes i am acquainted with with a lot of these podcasts and but you know the intention of this particular thing is basically to promote the book sure. because the one thing that the podcast can't have are all the pictures that are in the book okay good point and, absolutely yeah and and uh, uh the fact is that uh since i've done so many voices over my career thousands and thousands of voices you know i, I was howard on the rugrats yep. for for 14 years i'm the father of phil and lil and that still is one of the most amazing you know, that that's still one of the most amazing, like, flashpoints, if I mention it, because everybody grew up uh, watching the Rugrats or watching their kids watching the Rugrats, sure. you know. And then I'm also the, the drunken French monkey in the Dr. Doolittle movies. <laughs> I'm a social drinker, you know. Lots, lots of people are, you know, know that part. And then I did a whole bunch of, of uh, voices for characters in the Disney Pixar movies during their heyday in the early days. <clears throat> so, you know, the, uh, my my career in Firesign Theater is one thing, but my career in the voiceover industry is a thousand things. Yeah. You know, absolutely, <laughs> man. No, and and I have enjoyed your work absolutely on animation and uh I uh you know, they were kind enough to give me Battlefield Earth the uh the audio oh, thing. Okay. It, is, it is such a magnum opus. I haven't you know, been able to sit down and listen to the 48 hours of it, you know. I think you ought to pop a magnum while you're listening to it, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, working on the uh, uh, the Golden Age of Pulp Fiction books was really a treat for me. That was like a three- or four-year project that I got involved in, adding voices and, di you know, lots of dialect voices and things, uh, Germans and all kinds of, you know, fantasy creatures. It was really fun. Uh, but, but I've also, over the years, done uh, all kinds of other – uh, audio presentations of various sorts. And really, uh, uh, the the major part of my work for three decades, while I was doing Fireside Theater and pursuing on-camera appearances and television shows mm -hmm. and things like that, was to, to add voices to movies and to background voices, I should say, to movies and television shows. So you've heard me many more times than you could possibly imagine, you know, uh, uh, revoicing characters in in movies and adding, you know, speaking in foreign languages 
uh, you know, I mean, it's just amazing the kind of stuff that I got to do. I remember one of the first uh, ADR jobs, they call it, mm-hmm. additional, additional dumb uh, replies. No, additional <laughs> the automated dialogue replacement, okay? Yep. Looping, looping and dubbing. And it's quite an industry, and I did it for a long time. And one of the first projects I worked on was uh, – uh, Oh gosh! Now I can't remember the name of the movie. Uh, the the one where, uh, hold on, Dawn. No, it's the one about the Russian submarine. Uh, what was it called? Hunt for Red October or uh... yes, Hunt for Red. I, it was the hunt for for my memory at that time. Yes, the hunt for Red October. That was one of the first ones that I did because I speak Russian. I was in the Soviet Union with the Yale Russian chorus in 1959. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound like a real thing, Phil. <laughs> I really, I speak Russian. I speak French, I speak Spanish, I speak Italian, I speak Norwegian. Also, you know, I speak many, many languages. Uh, I was born with this this gift, uh, and I, I lo- I've loved it all my life. I was born with the gift to hear music and repeat it. And uh, my first... Uh, the first time that this that, that my family realized this, my grandfather back in Goshen, Indiana, was you know singing "Onward, Christian Soldiers" to me or something uh, to to indoctrinate me before I fell asleep, and and I hummed it back to him, and so he he brought me downstairs and I actually repeated it for the family, and and John, that's the last time I ever worked for free. <laughs> But anyway, I'm doing the hunt for Red October with all of these uh, expatriate Russians who have escaped from Russia, mostly, mainly Jews, because they're being, uh, you know, oppressed. Sure. And, and, and we were forced to sing the Russian national anthem, the Soviet national anthem. <laughs> it's a great scene in the movie. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Great scene. And, 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 um, uh, and of course, Sean Connery. You know, speaking, he's Sean Connery, you know, talks with his better and everything. So I said to the ADR director, I said, now, when is Mr. Connery going to come in and overdub his uh, his lines with a Russian accent? He said, oh, no, no, it's, it's Sean Connery. I, I, I said, yeah, I know it's, it's Sean Connery. No, no, he, he, he you know, we, we explain it when when we zoom in on him, he's speaking Russian. Then we zoom out and he's speaking, you know, English. And I said, well, he's speaking, you know, English with a, a Scottish accent. He said, oh, well, we explain that. We say he's Latvian. <laughs> oh, I said, of course. It's that Latvian burr. That old Latvian burr. <laughs> so, so did you loop him? Like, what? Like, were you speaking his Russian? No, no, he just he just did his thing. Yeah, you know, he just did his thing. But but uh, we looped various other characters in that and okay and, you know and again it, it's it's a fascinating uh, business looping and dubbing uh you know putting in uh lines in the background that you you may not actually hear you can't be too interesting you know when you're you. yeah right you're doing lines of, but what most people don't understand is that when you shoot a movie uh, or a television show uh, and you have extras in the background uh the extras are not really talking right, right. they can't because if they talk, then when you cut when you cut the film from one scene to another, you know you, you you'd have a distraction in the background. You have to you have to cut to the major dialogue, right? Sure. So 
So after the film is made or the, 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 the te- television show or movie for TV is made, then a group of crazy actors like me who basically have background in improvisation and speak languages and can do dialects of different kinds, they bring us in and we spend a day or two adding all these voices, sometimes a week in these big movies. I did the Die Hard movies, you know, and they spent weeks putting words into every character's mouth in these huge scenes in like airports and things. There'd be a man walking across the screen from the right to the left and just his head would be visible, but he'd be talking or be pretending to be talking Mm -hmm. and have to put words into his mouth. Like, so what gate are we supposed to go to, dear? You know, something like that. And all improvise. And then when it's mixed together, uh, it creates a mood. Uh, it helps to to create the mood of the movie, yeah, you know. Absolutely, so, man. No, exactly. There's always that that din of, uh, like you said, background conversations. It can't uh, over- supersede, you know, the dialogue. Obviously, that's right. So yeah, that's-, that's interesting that it is that intricate. I always, as a, as a radio guy, and having to make commercials and things, you know, they have those kind of uh, pre-programmed kind of. All right, here's the uh, the exterior of a shopping mall. Yeah, and, and exactly. Got, have you done it for any like sound effect companies? Have you done those kind of jobs as well? No, but we did. Uh, uh, <laughs> that's really putting me back in time. When I was a kid in New York, uh, my dad was an entrepreneur. He's a lawyer, but he was an entrepreneur, and he used to bring in new inventions to the house, like the Polaroid camera. Okay. okay. Yes, which was a huge deal for. Yeah. I mean, today's you know my listeners probably half of them I'm guessing have heard the word Polaroid, but don't understand the marvel that it was when it, when it came through the fifties, right? When it came yeah, through it was in the fifties. Exactly. And he also brought in the latest iteration of tape recorders. Okay. Yes. And so, so little Phil, I just, you know, I just g- jumped on it and, uh, and I began like I would, I would record Ernie Kovacs off of the television. Sure. Okay, and and then write down the dialogue of some of his skits and things and perform them. I recorded Bob and Ray uh, every day when they're in their live show and 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 learned how to edit because I wanted to save their funniest bits. Okay, so and which, by the way, ended up on a record, the best of Bob and Ray that Larry Josephson uh, put together. But but in fact, I was experimenting all the time with, you know, radio and audio effects myself in my own home okay but oh and in keeping with this (coughs) i wanted to play with some sound effects records okay sure so i found i went into the phone book and i found a place called major sound effects a guy named valentino and he had his company uh on like the 17th floor uh, of a, of a, a big building that your daddy works in uh, down in the, uh, the music music row, like the Lower West Side. And I went up there, and they, these were all 78s, 78 records, not 33 and a third. They were, you know, not not vinyl. And and I went through the catalog, and I picked out I, – I would buy – save my, my allowance up and buy records, and then I would improvise to them – and make make funny tape recordings. Sure. <laughs> we all have to start somewhere, right? Uh, Phil, honestly, again, because of listening to your guys' comedy albums, and even luckily enough that uh, old time radio in the in the seventies, my formative yeah. years, was still being played. I was fascinated by that, and I really wanted to be on radio. And as you know, too, beyond uh, performance radio, whether music or comedy or whatever. 
um, news and information. You know, we, yeah. we take the Internet for granted, but it was really those 24-hour news stations that fascinated me as a kid. I was talking about with one of my coworkers and saying, you know, I mean, as radio is, I think, in a, in a shifting mode as it was in the 50s, it's happening now. I'm like, you yeah. got to understand, when I was growing up, this was the Internet. Radio was the Internet. Live information yeah. and listening literally to even, you know, a news reporter doing something at 2 o'clock in the morning as a little kid. I'm like, oh, my God, look at that, man. They're like – they're the watchers. They're the, they're the ones that are yeah, kind of, you know, right. keeping things going when everything else is shut down and we got the test pattern that's on the, on the TV and everything. Yeah, that's right. It was live. Radio continued. And, of course, I'm old enough to remember uh, the hearing the end of the Second World War announced on the radio in Goshen, Indiana. And all of the adults suddenly started whooping and crying and hugging one another and drinking and dancing and smoking. And I said, what what is it? What is it? And they just announced the end of the Second World War. Wow. Wow. It's like five years old at the time, you know. So radio was a great part of our lives growing up. Uh, in in the the uh, late forties and early fifties, and and the, we literally families would sit around the big old radio receiver and listen to live comedy programs like Fanny Bryce and uh, Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy, sure. and, you know, and and Fred uh, Fred Allen, Bob Hope, my God, and then the Fireside Theater. <laughs> when we uh, recorded our first records, we recorded them at the Columbia Studios in Hollywood. And they, the studios that we recorded our first albums in were radio studios. That's great. Isn't that great? Yes, it so, is, man. Yeah, no, and like, you know, so like literally like the studios that Jack Benny and the other, I'm assuming Columbia, these were the CBS studios. That's right, the CBS studios, exactly. And then also when the Firesign Theater did its uh, uh, PBS special, <laughs> excuse me, its PBS special called mm-hmm. Weirdly Cool, we filmed it on the Jack Benny television in the te- Jack Benny television studio. Wow. So again, it was like, you know, this, this wonderful kind of homage to uh, all the people who had influenced us. And then we were able to, to actually, uh, you know, uh, d- be in a magic place and, and, and do that kind of stuff. Now, if people are interested in Firesign Theater archives, records, uh, books, whatever, yeah, you can go to firesigntheater.com. Mm-hmm. And if you're interested in, in my stuff, you can go to planetproctor.com. Okay, because I've been writing a, a blog for 25, 30 years now, uh, and and they're archived at planetproctor.com. And there's links to get my book, Where's My Fortune Cookie, which is available at Amazon. And and I highly recommend it. Everybody who has read it, I mean, you know, when you when you write a book, <coughs> pardon me, and especially when no you problem. co-author. When you write a book, and, and when you, especially when you co-author it, you never know what effect it's really going to have on the public. Pretty much like putting a record out there, you know. Sure. And and so I've been very very gratified to hear all of the nice responses that people have made uh, in relationship to to the book and what they get from it, especially the the psychic part of it. You know, the fact that I survived the, a, a Chinese gangland shooting yes. where five yes. were killed and 11 wounded. You know, I've had a, a pretty exciting life. My, <laughs> and and dude, it's not over yet. Absolutely, man. No, and I, that's why it was such a thrill to talk to you the first time. The book is fantastic, and it absolutely lends itself to audio storytelling. And that's, yeah. uh, that's the great thing, man. Every chapter is its own kind of story, so it makes a lot of sense that you're doing this. And yeah. Uh, yeah, when Jeff Abram told me that uh, you know, hey, uh, do you want to have Phil back on? He wants to promote his podcast. I'm like, absolutely, because oh, you're a, you are man, you're a born storyteller, and your career reflects that. The book certainly reflects that. And yeah, man, beyond the uh, 
the uh, shooting in Chinatown, there was also, you know, I, my favorite thing that you told me was you and uh, Brandon DeWolf from uh, Shane and uh, Brandon DeWilde. Yeah, De- Brandon thank DeWilde. you. De- yeah, DeWilde, is that is that how you said? Yeah, Brandon DeWilde. Yeah, okay, was, thank you. Sorry, yes. Yeah. But yeah, your guys' adventures uh, in the in the 60s uh, at some uh, protests and things like that. Yeah, you know? we we have to be well, and again, I mean, it's, it's so I've known so many people in my life uh, really from starting as as as, as a child because my dad and mom were involved in show business, you know, and I met all these wonderful people. Uh, uh, uh Henry Morgan, great great radio wow. star. Absolutely yeah. another like Bob and Ray kind of off the wall yeah. comedy. I love Henry Morgan's very, radio show. Very cynical, funny guy yes. who got with murder on the radio. And uh, uh, it so happened that I lived on uh, East 94th Street uh, between Park and Lexington on the sixth floor. And diagonally across from our apartment, a guy named uh, a, a producer lived. And he used to throw cocktail parties all the time. And that's where I met Margaret Hamilton, the witch, the Wicked Witch from the radio, from the uh, Oz stories. Yeah, the Wizard of Oz movie, absolutely, MGM. Pro- and and uh, and Henry Morgan and God knows how many other people whose name I probably wouldn't even have recognized since I was like what seven or nine years old. But this was all Max Gordon was a producer, and he also he he ran a club called the Blue Angel where Lenny Bruce uh, played. And wow. I mean, you know, amazing connections. But anyway, Brandon DeWilda. Uh, I understudied him in a play called The Race of Harry Men by Evan Hunter, and we became very close friends. Uh, we were fated to be friends in the beginning, uh, it, but we became very close, and we came out We at, at one point. Uh, he was trying to change his career into a musical career, and he taught himself to play the guitar. He was hanging out with uh, all kinds of incredible musicians back in New York at the time. And, and when we, we drove out together to California, because he wanted to get back in the films to do some more film work. And we connected up immediately with Peter Fonda. Okay. <laughs> Brandon and Peter Fonda. So I, I would, I, here I am hanging out with Peter Fonda and Brandon DeWilda. Peter was going through a, a, a trial for a mar- for marijuana possession. If you can believe it. Okay. What are the odds? <laughs> which, yeah, yeah, which he beat, okay? And he introduced me to uh, Dr. Jacques Honduras and where I learned some higher consciousness stuff that I talk about in the book as well. But one evening, Brandon and Peter and I went down to join the protest against the curfew that they were trying to impose on young people on the Sunset Strip, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and that turned into what is known as the Sunset Strip riot. Okay. <laughs> and, and and I was there. And not only was I there, but during one of the protests where we, we sat down, you know, we, we shall not be moved while the sheriffs are coming at us from one end and the L.A. police from the other. I sat on an I sat on Peter Bergman's face. Peter Bergman turns out to be the guy uh, who started the Firesign Theater, and who I'd gone to Yale with. It was an open issue of the L.A. Free Press. A picture of Peter Bergman, who I had lost total touch with. (laughs) And so and it said KPFK uh, uh, newsman Peter Bergman interviews returning Vietnam War veterans. So at the end of the evening, let's see, Brandon got beat up. uh, uh, Peter got arrested. I was writing for a newspaper in New York called the East Village Other. And I had a crazy press card with an eye on it. (laughs) Hold that up. And I guess it scared the cops. It was like the evil eye or something because they didn't touch me. All right. <laughs> and, and the next day, I naturally I called 
Peter Bergman at KPFK. And he said, yeah, I'm the Wizard of Oz. I said, well, I'm sorry, what? He said, I have a show called Radio Free Oz. It's on from like noon to, th- uh, pardon me, midnight to three or something like that or 10 to one. I don't remember. And he said, why don't you come down and, you know, and play with us? And I did. And I met these two other guys, David Osman and Phil Austin who were producing the show and affiliated with the show. And we discovered we were all fire signs. I'm a Leo. There were two Sagittarians and Austin's and Aries. And so we started improvising together on the radio. It was a late night call in counterculture talk show that Bergman had created. Okay. And we would portray various characters uh, in, in, you know, in Peter's lexicon. Uh, I was Ernie, the wonder healer, uh, <laughs> The Philippines, you know, and I would, you know, I would pull chicken legs out of people's bellies, you know, and cure them of cancer and stuff, you know, and and people would phone in and talk to us and they would believe whoever we were. They would believe it. And once we all kind of realized that, we went, we're really on to something here. You know, we can do these outrageous put ons or send ups, as they call them in England. People will believe us. We'll create characters and and we'll have fun. And then uh, uh, Peter uh, got a great idea to to throw a, a, a major event to kind of uh, test his celebrity. And he called it a love in. And he invited his listeners to come to Elysian Park in Los Angeles on a Sunday afternoon and and gather and, you know, for music and uh, incense and incest and <laughs> whatever. And 6,000 people showed up. 6,000 people. And and many of them, you know, brought their instruments and they improvised music. And it was it was it was a beautiful be in. It was a sure. love in and a be in. And it started really. He he. It was the first of many such gatherings that later happened during those those wacky psychedelic years. Okay. Yeah, man. So yes, he was real. He was a real innovator. And then when we got our first record deal. Uh, uh, Gary Usher was our producer at Columbia, and he was he wanted to do a Radio Free Oz record because Peter was so famous right sure. now. And Peter said, "No, no, I, I think Phil Austin at dinner said, no, you have to do a Firesign Theater, actually an Oz Firesign Theater record." And, and Gary said, "Whatever you want." So that first record, uh, "Waiting for the Electrician" or someone like him, came out of the success of Radio Free Oz. And of course, we had to drop the name Oz. Firesign Theater, because Disney owned the rights to a, a an animated feature called Return to Oz or oh, something. Yes, like. of course, I remember that as a kid. Sure, right. It was it was either animated or it was live action. I can't remember, but they said you can't use the name Oz, and of course I could have said, well, we're from Australia, and it's the name of our country. You can't <laughs> take the name of our country away from it. Instead, we said, fine, Firesign Theater is confusing enough. Let's just. <laughs> I, Let's just drop the eyes. Nobody will know. And, and nobody did. <laughs> so, yeah, so anyway, and that was the kickoff uh, to our, our record success. But it didn't sell that many records. And so when uh, the, the suits at Columbia were having one of their meetings to decide what they were going to do with their roster, or their, their lineup of, of artists, uh, they were all getting ready to, to drop the Fireside Theater. You know, who are these guys? And a guy named John McClure 
who uh, was the head of the Spoken Arts Division of Columbia Records, held up our record and waved it in their faces and said, these guys are geniuses. This is a whole new approach to comedy. They've created long form overlap, you know, overdubbed comedy. There's never been anything like it. You've got to keep them signed. And he said, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'll sign them to a spoken arts contract and we'll keep them on now. That was wonderful. Only one hitch. The spoken arts contract. Well, well, first of all, I'll give you the good news. The spoken arts contract gave us unlimited free studio time. Wow. Can you imagine? Yeah. And, yeah, that's but the, amazing. The downside was we traded that for a reduced royalty okay. fee. Uh. Okay. <laughs> Uh-oh. All right. So you know, we were four hippies, really. Sure. I mean, hippies. <laughs> I went to Yale. You know, I was I was more hip than a hippie. But uh, but we 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 all had agreed from the very beginning that we we were going to share everything equally, and that uh, when we did our writing and our performing, everybody would have a say as to what went into the final product, and that was true for us right up to the the, the end of our time together when Peter Bergman passed away about five years ago, and then Phil Austin a few years after that, but. Here's the good news. David Osman and I are still alive. Oh, yeah. Alive, I tell you, alive, they're alive. And we're going to be performing a new piece based on an old piece called uh, uh, The Art of Radio uh, at, at the uh, Here Now Festival on Saturday night to top off their evening of original audio presentations. The first time that we performed this was back in 1970. At a thing called the Arley Festival, which was a gathering in Arley, Virginia, West Virginia, or Virginia, of uh, 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 of uh, uh, people who worked in the listener-supported radio sure. stations, the Pacifica stations, <clears throat> and Phil Austin, who never liked to fly, uh, he was he his voice was added into the three piece, the, the three man piece that we did by satellite. Okay, wow. So that he, so he could actually be there for the radio broadcast and the live presentation. Well. Uh, when when the uh, Library of Congress uh, inducted our one of our most famous albums, Don't Crush That Dwarf, Hand Me the Pliers, into its historical recordings, or hysterical recordings, if you will, about seven years ago now, uh, we, uh, we went down and met everybody. And then last year, they announced that they were purchasing our archives. Yeah. The Library of Congress purchased our archives for six mid six figures. Oh, that's Wonder. great! Oh my God, and I figured it was kind of a government sort of. Well, that's a nice honor. Thank you very much. There'll be no money, of course. No, there was <laughs> half a billion bucks. Okay. Wow, half man. A, all right. So, so that was a real gratifying. Uh, uh, thing that kind of acknowledged our, the, the the cultural effect Fireside Theater had on uh, the country, uh, the world, and in, on comedy in general. So for, to celebrate that, we David Osman and I resuscitated the art of radio, wrote it as a three-man piece, and performed it on the, cool, the stage of the Coolidge Theater in the Library of Congress. Okay? Mm-hmm. And, and that piece now has great legs – Okay, and uh, we performed it again on Mother's Day, or as I call it, Smothers Day, because it's a celebration of comedy, uh, up on Whidbey Island at uh, at a a little uh, restaurant, a little uh, wine wine cafe 
uh, in uh, Langley. Wow. And it, and it was a big hit. And so, you know, we keep up, updating it. <laughs> we have to. We have to keep up. We got to put Roseanne in there now, right? Oh, it does <laughs> reflect current events, obviously. Okay. Yeah, right. Yeah, sure. Fireside Theater, you know, was always – but we, we, we did two things. We were timeless and we were timely. Indeed. You know? Absolutely, so man. When you listen to the records, there are many, many references to things that were happening at the time. But there's also we're futurists. Yes, and, you and, are. And, Go on. Right? <laughs> and so uh, a lot of what we what we wrote about was predictive. Uh, my favorite, of course, is in the album. I think we're all bozos on this bus. Uh, I played a character called Clem, and I basically was a hacker who planted a virus in the mainframe computer direct readout memory, Dr. Memory, and I brought down this future fair, which was a government-organized uh, uh, Disneyland, uh, which was supposed to make everybody think that everything was great, okay? So I was uh, the, the backstory was I was a fired worker, and I got access to the computer, and, and, and I planted a virus, which was a question, uh, like a quan, that the computer could not answer with a yes or a no, and it brought everything down. Now, but here's the topper, and I don't have my phone handy. Will, will you uh, tap dance for a minute? I'm going to get my phone and demonstrate something amazing yeah, to Absolutely, you. man. No, I know what you're going to do. That's great. <laughs> okay, I'm back with my iPhone, which is my, my phone, and I'm going to say something to Siri. This is worker speaking. Hello. Hello, Aklem. What function can I perform for you? LOL. <laughs> now, for those who may not be acquainted with the record, that is the question. That, that's the way that I got into the mainframe computer by saying, this is worker speaking. Hello. And then the computer would open up to me. And that's why I could plant, plant the virus. So she is talking with a computer voice. And then she goes laugh out loud. Yep, hello. Oh, Absolutely. Oh, man. Why, why is that there? It's there because Steve Jobs was an early fan of the fire sign theaters okay and and later when i did voices for a bug's life for for pixar Mm -hmm. uh, i went up to uh uh uh, i think it was emeryville for the uh, cast and crew screening and steve jobs had just bought shares of pixar because of course he was helping them develop their incredible computer uh, animation systems and i met him and he said i'm a big fan and I said, that's great. But then when we were going through our archives, we have an archivist who's been working with us for decades now named Taylor Jessen. And Taylor has been assembling and digitizing all of the material uh, that we were going to send to the Library of Congress. Mm-hmm. It's just ready to be shipped, in fact, because <coughs> we want to continue. <coughs> Excuse me. No problem. <coughs> we want to continue to uh, to make – a rare material available to our fan base at firesigntheater.com. So we digitized a lot of original tapes and, and movies and stuff and then sent the originals. We're sending the originals to Washington. All right. So uh, uh, he found going through pictures, he found a picture of Steve Jobs when he was probably in his late 20s, okay, at a Firesign Theater record signing up in Berkeley. Okay. Yeah, that's so, amazing. Go on. 
You see, so we, we didn't realize that he, you know, had been an early fan of Firesign Theater. And obviously when he heard Bozo's on this bus, which com- basically predicted the computer revolution, right? Mm-hmm. He yeah. was inspired by it. Wow. So we actually inspired Steve Jobs to, you know, to carry on. And he, oh, I'm telling you. It's 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 an amazing story. It is an amazing story. Well, again, as you say, you guys were futurists, and you know that. Uh, what was the video thing you guys did where you? It was, uh, and I forgive me, I forget which fire sign uh, co- uh, star uh, did the video of the all day cable access uh, station, the cheap cable access. Oh, station. That's yeah. That's Proctor and Bergman's first album. Okay, there you go. Yeah, called TV or not TV. Okay. <laughs> I was Fred Flam and he was Clark Cable. Okay. And, and yes, it was two guys who ran a, a a cable studio out of their basement, okay? And and basically were doing outrageous things uh, on on television that you couldn't do on, you know, on the networks. Yes, we were predicting all of that stuff. And and uh, and then there was a, a subplot. There were these like children who were hacking into our broadcasts, right? The children who were to become the pirates of the future. Indeed. Okay. <laughs> right? So so yes, that was very predictive as well. But you know, we were predictive because we we had things we wanted to say that we couldn't say uh, that, that uh, you know it, on on the radio uh, or television. Because they were they were inflammatory. We were we were against the war in in Nam, and you know a lot of the, the of, of our ideas were were very um, daring, you know, and unique. And so we had to create platforms for ourselves to be able to uh, write about and perform the the things that we wanted to uh, we wanted the nation to listen to the the smart people in the culture who got our comedy and who got our arcane references and everything. And then when we got famous enough, we could tour. And when we toured, we would not only mount the shows that people loved from the records, but we also were able to inject new material into the stuff that we did. So those shows had a, a live quality to them that were, were, was also taking advantage of a platform that was our own. People who wanted to come and see us you know, specifically. And so we had, we were with an audience that loved us and an audience that we loved and we could do outrageous things and develop new material. You know, so many times the Firesign records uh, were based on material that we performed at a club called uh, the Ash Grove in, uh, Man- in, in, in um, Hollywood. Okay. And, okay. And the Ash Grove is, has been for years the improv was taken over by oh, – okay. Okay, it's the improv. That's that's the the location. Crazy. Where where Firesign used to do uh, stand up its material uh, that we were going to do as a record, so that we could see how it played to the audiences. Sure, sure. And so the audiences have always been our fans uh, and followers have always been an integral part of the creation of the material that we did, uh, which which a lot of people don't understand. Also, because you know we were cranking out studio albums, right? Right. You know. They weren't recordings of live performances. With the, but later we did that. We did um, a recording of a live performance <clears throat> called uh, uh, The Eight Shoes, and the album was called Fighting Clowns, and the artwork was by the late, great Phil Hartman. Oh, that's amazing. Yes, um, I was, again, at work, we were talking about Phil Hartman's graphic album design career for, uh, I know, Electra Asylum, among uh, maybe yeah. other labels. Oh. 
He did a great that Poco album, The Beautiful Horse, you know, yes. and the Clowns, which is a very elaborate thing. And of course, we we're 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 reminded of his of uh, his terrible passing, which was just about twenty years ago. Yeah, I know. Okay, I know. it was twenty it's, years ago. It was ninety eight. Twenty years ago, and the, a couple. And in my book, I talk about uh, Phil because we we loved him and worked with him a lot. But I, I met Phil Hartman. I happened to be at Disneyland. Don't know why. And I ran into Phil Hartman, who was celebrating the fact, as he told me, that he'd just been cast in Saturday Night Live. Wow. And he's with a, a punk girlfriend of his who had like blue mo- a blue mohawk. And she was wearing – I'll never forget it. She was wearing a Splatter Mickey T-shirt. And for those of you who don't know what that was, it was a goth T-shirt of Mickey Mouse blowing his brains out with a pistol. Oh, that's – now I forgive the laughing because certainly, yeah, that is a harbinger of what was to come. Yeah, I know. And was that, was that his wife that was wearing the shirt? No. Okay, well, Just that's a, good. A goth girlfriend. Wow. But – Good grief. I mean, you know, my book is filled with those kinds of yeah. of references and crazy things that, that have happened. You know, coincidence? I don't think so. You know. Yeah, no, anyway. I understand. Yeah, no. Well, you know, honestly, that kind of opens up a, a point I was wondering. And I don't want to interrupt you, Phil, so please, if you want to continue. Don't interrupt me. That's all right. You know, you can ask questions out. <laughs> no, <laughs> but helps. you're telling great stories, man. But honestly, I was curious – as you mentioned, uh, knowing Phil and everything, so I'm assuming you know you knew him through his groundling years when uh, and for yeah, you know yeah. that's that's the for my listeners who may not know the L.A. Uh, sketch comedy group uh, like Second City here in Chicago, uh, right. you know so and and certainly uh, Lisa from, Kudrow, from, John Lovitz, among others, including Phil, uh, Lorraine oh, Newman, yeah. of course, a groundling, and in fact, I just Absolutely. had a couple months months ago another great voiceover guy, Tim Matheson. Telling me he was yeah. he was part of the original Groundlings group and everything, and he even kind of was like, "Hey, no, 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 those are the comedians. I was just an actor, kind of working out when they were just getting started, but I wouldn't consider myself." And yeah, you know, humble, humble guy. But I was I was interested. So you know, as as fire sign vets, you know, I'm assuming certainly the the people, including Phil Hendry, uh, of course, because yeah. you guys work in the same kind of things. But I was wondering about had you have how many of your contemporaries. Or even people slightly before you, like Bob and Ray, Stan Freeberg, other people yeah. that were doing that kind of off-the-wall comedy. How many of those people, contemporaries and, and uh, your inspirations, did you get a chance to meet? And do you have any stories about those encounters? Well, you know, Stan Freeberg, yes, because uh, he was <laughs> – uh, in, the, in the world of audio recording – and by the way, the last time I saw Phil – was maybe a week before his death. Wow. Uh, he, was, he was doing, you know, he's Canadian. Yes. <laughs> so he was doing a series of uh, Canadian beer commercials. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, Car- I forget the name of the beer now, but anyway, famous Canadian beer. And I ran into him at a recording session uh, in, in the Valley where I was doing, you know, some other product. Mm-hmm. And, and it was one of those things like, you know, he'd been in New York all these years. We said, we got to get together. Let's, you know, let's call and make a date. The next thing I know, he's gone, yeah. you know. Wow. So crazy, crazy, crazy. But, wow. but we worked wow. out at the Groundlings. Uh, and remember, when we did Nick Danger, Third Eye, which was our, our big success, yes, the dude. one uh, – yes. the, the album was on how can you be in two places at once when you're not anywhere at all, okay? It was the uh, whole the side, side, am I correct, of one of uh, – uh, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Again, for for the children out there who don't know what sides are. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a very good point. Right. Right. The vinyl records of the 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 sixties and seventies and eighties were basically two sided plastic records, right? And you can turn it over and play the other side. Nick Danger, Third Eye. Nick Danger was going to be a radio serial, but and we had we we did a bunch of radio shows. You can hear eighty hours of our radio shows, uh, John, if you buy. If you go to the firesigntheater.com and you buy a book called The Duke of Madness Motors, okay, which is a profusely illustrated book uh, of all of our stories about our radio years, and it includes an MP3 of 85 hours of our <laughs> selected radio show. Wow. And, and for better or for worse, you can actually go online to Firesign Theater Radio anytime, 24 hours a day, and, and hear – our material. So if you're not acquainted with us, that might be a fun way, you know, for Absolutely, you to, 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 to turn on to it. Absolutely. So, okay. So where was it? Yeah. So we were doing radio shows on commercial stations at this point. And, uh, and we, we had d- decided we were going to go in. I think we had a Sunday afternoon show. We were going to go in and we we're going to, we we're going to do a, an adventure of Nick danger. And then that was going to be a running, uh, serial on the show. Mm-hmm. We get state. We get to the station. Now this may sound familiar to you and other people who work in the radio. We get to the station, and our keys couldn't open the door. They had changed the locks. They had sold the station, and instead of it being you know rock and roll and and comedy, it was now uh, Hasidic cowboy western. You know, uh, 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 Irish dance music. You know, <laughs> clogs. I mean, it was just gone, gone. So we said, what are we going to do with this? We said, well, we have another side of the record. Let's put it on there. And that was one of our greatest hits. Now, the reason I mention it is that it also uh, was inspiring to Phil Hartman. And he created a character called Chick Hazard. Okay. <laughs> okay? And the Groundlings would do, uh, on a regular basis, their take on Nick Danger Third Eye. On the you know the the, uh, the, the tw- detective noir radio sure. uh, series, okay, yeah. and that was, and he, you know absolutely he absolutely uh, uh, confessed to the fact that it was inspired by you know uh, uh, Nick Danger and imitation is the best form of flattery, you know. Absolutely. Do you are you aware of the thrilling adventure hour guys? Yes. Yes. Have I you am. met them? Uh, I've met them, yes, but I uh, I haven't performed with them. I performed with Fake Radio, okay, <laughs> and some other you know live audio presentations. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah, I, I love that, and I support it as much I as much as I can. But uh, no, I think they're doing excellent work. Yeah, Ben Blacker has been on the show as well, and and um, he dips into comic books, comic book writing as well as his of his uh, audio comedy and everything. And no, I mean, the first time I heard Thrilling Adventure, I'm like, oh, they're doing Fireside Theater. They're doing Nick, Nick Danger and stuff. Because again, man, yeah, you get, hey, no, really, man, this is, that's why, honestly, Phil, it is a thrill to talk to you because it was so exciting to hear uh, really well-produced audio comedy and, and in that great uh, classic radio way. But being counterculture right. and crazy, as you guys were of the times, I discovered yep. you guys, you know, in my in my my uh, high school and college years in the in the eighties. That's really when when I found you and everything. And I also embarrassingly will confess, and I said this to you in the previous show. 
uh, our college radio station. Well, not not we didn't do it on the air. We did it as a school project for a teacher. Yeah. We we okay. took your Nick Danger Third Eye script and we we you know did our best performing it. And of course we can't hold hell. Of course not hand a, hold a candle. It's like Neil Simon walking into a high school production of The Odd Couple or something like that. And I'm sure it's <laughs> right. embarrassing and kind of yeah. That's thanks kids. I know you're trying, but but uh... <laughs> no, it's, it's great. We we encourage people to do that, uh, and and we've actually published our scripts. Broadway publishing, Broadway plays in oh, New sure. York. Oh, yes. Go on. You know, and we encourage people to perform them uh, either as an audio piece or on stage. I've seen several productions of Nick Danger uh, done locally by uh, theater groups. Sure, you know? of and course. I'm, I'm, always, I'm always really tickled to see how they interpret it and you know how they cast it and what what, what clever ideas they come up with to to uh, you know to entertain a live audience. But it was that thrill, so, as you were even saying as a kid, of yeah, putting you know putting sound effects, putting everything together, and it's like, oh my god, you realize much like uh, comic book people, you know, the pencil is the only thing, and their imagination keeping them from making amazing special effects, and that's the beauty of radio. And even Stan Freeberg, I know, used to. Uh, he had a bit on one of his uh, comedy albums about how you can't, you know, things you can do on radio you can't do on television. Yes. And he created the largest chocolate sundae with, you know, it's, rivers of chocolate syrup rolling off a mountain and stuff. And and drop that huge cherry on it with, from a plane. <laughs> That's right. The Thunderbirds know. had a giant cherry to drop on the sundae. Exactly, man. Okay, now, I'm gonna I'm gonna say something to you here about that. <clears throat> um, one of my dear friends passed away uh, fairly recently. Harry Anderson. Sure. Yes. From Night Court, and of course. Harry, here's what Harry said about radio. It has to be believed to be seen. Yep. Very good. Isn't that brilliant? Yeah. It has to be believed to be seen. And luckily, my wife, Melinda, and I spent some time with Harry and Elizabeth uh, in September in their home in, in Asheville, a home <laughs> it was a new house that he'd moved to in Asheville. And I said, so, Harry, do you still have your uh, your electric chair in the house? He said, I have two of them. <laughs> of course he does. Two. Who else would you know who would have two electric chairs in their home? You know, and Harry was the best. And in, in the book. Where's my fortune cookie available at Amazon.com? In the book, I talk about how when Proctor and Bergman, half the wits of the Firesign Theater, were touring, uh, we ran we, – we, we needed an opening act when we were in Houston. And we noticed this guy at the bar who was doing magic. And we went over and we said, you know, obviously you're a skilled magician. Do you, could you open for us? And he said, sure. It was Harry. All right. And he did a dynamite act. Oh, yeah. He did his knees through the arm. Yes. And we said, man, we got to stay in touch. The next time we were in uh, Texas, we were in Austin and he was bartending there as well. We said, look, we've changed our act. Uh, it's more of a new age act now. Could you open for us again? And he did. He did an entire new act. So after that, we took him out to dinner and we said, look, Harry, you've really got this stuff. Why don't you, you know, come to come out to L.A. and maybe we can help you. The next thing. Huh? Lost you, Phil. You there? Yeah, I'm still here. All right. Start again with the next thing. OK. Uh, uh, how far did I get with the Harry Anderson? You, you were in L.A. You told him you got to come to L.A. 
Yeah. Okay. So we say you got to come to L.A. And, and the next thing I know, I'm guest starring on Night Court, his television. Oh my god! Series. I got to find that episode, man. That's fantastic. You were on Night Court. Yeah, I did three of them. Oh my! Oh, you I had did, a running character? No, no. But I did uh, a two-parter uh, of a of a mad scientist who's holding them hostage. And then I did another one where I was an underwear king, and I was and I was. Uh, 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 selling underwear using one of their characters. To, anyway, it's, it's complicated. No, I understand. I, That's you know, Night Court and Barney Miller were great like that. They'd get these amazing character actors to yeah, come in yeah, yeah. and play different roles. And certainly now that's through right. syndication, you do realize, oh, that's the same guy that was the judge in the other episode. But that's fine yeah, that's right. because that that's right. I mean, and I know that Reinhold Wedgie, the the creator of Night Court, was was yeah. a writer on Barney Miller. But that's the thing, man. That was that was the genius of those shows. That mundane. Uh, setting of either a courtroom or a squad room and these crazy yep. people walking in and, and yep. you know, having these great performances. So that's fantastic. I got to find these episodes, man. Yeah. And also Dave's World, when he did Dave's World, I did an episode uh, where I was a talk show host. I did a lot of talk show hosts on a lot of television. <laughs> shows. And and uh, and I also I did a lot of the Golden Girls, you know, with, yeah. with dear Betty White. I toured with Betty White when I was a younger actor. Uh, in New York, uh, in a bell book and candle. Wow! Wonder- oh my God! Was she in the Kim Novak role? Yeah! Holy cow! Way. Is that man? All right, you got to. I'm sure half my listeners I have seen Bell Book and Candle. You played. You played the Jack Lemon role. I played the Jack Lemon role, uh, whom I, w- I was grateful to be often compared to in my acting style because I was inspired by his acting style. I have to tell you, uh, and and uh, she was working with her husband Alan Ludden. At the time. Was Alan the and, Jimmy Stewart role? Yes. Wow, Alan that's was, fantastic. Alan Ludden, yeah. the host of Password, if you're a, uh, a game show aficionado, and I know they're rerunning Password on uh, Buzzer, the old, right. you know, the, the kind of Nick at Night of game shows channel right now. Yeah, that's, that's where Betty and Alan fell in love and got married. Wow. And he tragically died of, of cancer uh, really at an early age. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And she went on. But there's a story I tell about that in the book. Where's my fortune cookie? <laughs> that that uh, we we had. There's a cat that plays a major role mm-hmm. named Piwat. Yep, yep. A yep, Siamese yep. cat, okay, which is her familiar, the witch's familiar. And in the the stage play, we were rehearsing it at uh, Variety Arts in New York Rehearsal Studios in Broadway. And uh, this and 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 uh, this one day, the uh, cat was going to be introduced to the cast. The cat that was going to tour with us on this this show so uh this woman comes in with this cat and uh opens the cage and the cat comes out and it's a siamese cat now you know siamese cats usually are Mm cross-eyed for for reasons right yeah well this cat had been inbred from the original pie wagon on broadway wow and it its eyes were straight (laughs) but the woman who was the cat caretaker was cross-eyed. <laughs> and Betty White, she saw this and she said, excuse me. And she walked out of the room, walked down the stairs. We could hear her heels going, clump, 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 clump. and then from the bottom of the stairs, we heard. <laughs> <laughs> so she laughed herself out. And then she, she came back again. And that woman toured with us and would be standing off stage when Piwacket was doing its thing, you know, cross-eyed. Sure. I mean, oh, my God. 
Anyways, <laughs> what give up show business? You know that's awesome. So Seriously, fun. Phil, I love that's the book is incredible. It has these kinds of stories, and again, we're getting a sneak of what we I expect to hear on the podcast as well. Yes, I mean that's yes. that's great, man. And again, you're a natural storyteller. It, this is the perfect format for you, and I'm so glad you're doing that. I'm I'm also glad that you've revived this sketch and are, are touring with David with it and everything. Yeah, man, you got to come yeah. to Chicago, man. Come on. Yes, you know uh, the the fact is that uh, this piece seems to be a successful piece for us, and we are investigating uh, through a uh, a producer the possibility of doing a little touring with. That'd it. be great, man. Okay, because the sh- what the show would consist of is the you know like a forty minute. A piece that, that David and I do with sound effects and voices and crazy characters and and fireside stuff, and then a Q and A afterwards, so people can ask us questions about our careers and you know, and we can get to know them a little bit. Absolutely, man. No, that would be perfect. Hey, I got to ask you, as someone who does so many dialects and stuff, uh, again, yeah. uh, as a disciple following you guys. I did my bit, uh, certainly when I was in sports radio and would imitate players and managers and come up with little song parodies and things. But in today's more sensitive time, I, I yeah. and I mean, again, you've got the cred. You've got It's like Rickles with put-down humor. He already had the cred, and, and people gave him a pass, you know, r- yes. right, right till the end and stuff. But it really, it disappoints me because, I, you know, and, and truly, I get where, for example, Hank Azaria right now. Is having yep. you know certainly uh, you know, you're aware of the Simpsons controversy about a poo? Yes, of course I'm aware of it. There you know? go, exactly, man. Well, and that's the thing. <laughs> where you know where is the line? Because again, we grew up with dialect comedians, and it wasn't with hate; it was just funny stuff. And also, every accent, I am sure the American accent is hilarious to. A country, you know, a, a territory in Africa or the Amazon jungle—they are laughing at the American accent, and it's not with—you know—it's not with malice. I mean, you and I get it. It's again, it's—it sounds musical. It sounds different, and that's okay. Sure. So my name, my name is Jose Jimenez. Right. Oh my God, Bill Dana, Jewish man playing <laughs> Jose Jimenez, playing the Frito Bandito, and I mean, he was getting crap in the '60s and '70s, and again, it was. Hey man, it's just it's just a character. It's not meant to be demeaning. Um, I, but right. yeah, I mean that's the thing. I, being Look, from older generations, it celebrates diversity. Yes, it truly is, and man. Yeah, John. But John, diversity is a sore subject uh, under the present administration. Well, that, that's true too. With the alt right and the right wing basically in sway in our country right now, the idea of diversity is is a scary to these people. Yes. Okay, because the, uh, as somebody who talks differently is taking their job, you know, or their, their job sure. away from them. Yeah, you know, there are a bunch of yobs to think that because it's not true. So, so it, that's the politically correct thing has been a kind of transmogrified in a way. But the fact of the matter is, as you say, it is, it is, uh, uh, it's a way of expressing characters. I mean, Meryl Streep does it in the movies, and nobody gets upset. Of course, she right? does. Absolutely. But I'm going to tell you a story about it: the American accent. Uh, I was in Paris after the Yale Russian chorus uh, sang and drank its way, as we say in Russian, we sang and drank across the Soviet Union. And after it was over, we went to the Communist Youth Festival in Vienna, <laughs> where, you know, where it was even worse politics. And, and finally, 
I said, I've had enough of this. And where some of the, the chorus are like 40 of us went off to Yugoslavia, which existed at that sure. time, you know, various other places. I was sick of it. I went to Paris and just to blow off some steam and get laid, you know, so, <laughs> right. And, and eat French bread and drink wine. So uh, I ended up at uh, La Maison des élèves de l'École centrale des arts et des manufactures, which was a, uh, a, a dormitory for the uh, students of the arts and manufacturing school, okay, in the 13th arrondissement. And one of the wonderful things about this place, and I write about this in the book too, by the way, was that uh, all of the rooms were built around a big atrium, like 13, 14 story atrium. And in the morning, they would uh, cook, uh, they'd bake bread and make coffee and, and that those aromas would waft all the way up sure. and that's sure. how you'd wake up in the morning. So I go down for coffee and, and, and the croissant or coffee and, and the beignet and there was this one French guy that I befriended who was uh, uh, sleeping with a, a, an American girl. And uh, and she would say, "Oh, je suis très heureuse d'être ici à Paris pour la première fois." And I said to Jean Pierre, "I said, Jean Pierre, she has she has a terrible, terrible French accent, American accent. You know, how do you tolerate it?" He says, "Philippe, when you hear a French girl talk to you, and she talks, you know, like I do, and she says, Philippe, you look good today. Does that not sound sexy to you and charming?" I said, yes, it does. He says, that is the way she sounds to me. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Isn't that an interesting insight? Of course. Isn't, you know, I would have never have thought of that. That's fantastic. <laughs> well, you know, but Phil, and you're right. The alt-right is absolutely uptight about any non-white people. Hey, it rhymes. But, but, it rhymes. <laughs> alt-right is uptight. Alt-right, the alt-right yeah. is I think we've created a new T-shirt. We got to go to the custom T-shirt place the next time, <laughs> right now. The um, but what but what concerns me is because obviously you're a liberal. I consider myself a liberal. Um, yeah. That it's it's coming. This kind of objection to dialect is coming from the left, and it is from the individual. Uh, nationalities that are, you know, obviously that's the Hank Azaria problem of you know um, Middle Eastern people saying, "Hey, man, that's not cool," and and it's. I, I I really see both sides, and and I'm conflicted because again we grew up with this, and again it was never done with hate. That show that um, J. Carroll Nash did in the '40s, Life with Luigi. Life with Luigi, right? Sit, that's good. Sitcom yeah. all about immigrants coming to America. All dialect yeah. comedians. Hans Conried playing a German guy. Somebody playing a Swedish guy. J. Carroll Nash doing an Italian accent. And yeah, it's pretty heavy. And it is, hey, Mamma Mia, and it. <laughs> There were a lot of Yiddish accents too. Absolutely. On radio. Absolutely. Mr. Hitzo. Yes, Project you know? Benny, you're right. But that's the thing, man. I mean, and it. Fanny Bryce. Fanny Bryce, you know. But it, again, it was, it, it was embracing the diversity, diversity yeah. the difference, the uniqueness of these, of the people who were bringing new colors and, yes. and ideas, right? And culture to, to America. All right. And, and I, I still think that that's, the way it should be celebrated, Frank. Yeah, and I think I think that the overreaction on both sides is ridiculous. I, you know? I kind I'm of blessed. agree, man. And again, I I, I really struggle as I, I struggle with this because I understand, and certainly uh, Middle Eastern people should absolutely play Middle Eastern characters. But also, it's yes. like you know, animation. You know, you got you got to be fast and you got to be funny. And I'm not saying that there aren't great Middle Eastern comedians that could do it as well. But it's like you know, heck, Azari. I mean. You know, can you imagine Mel Blanc 
going through that or something like that or or like we said we mentioned Bill Dana with Jose Jimenez and stuff I mean it's a it's a it's it's a weird time and I, and again I get it and I, maybe if we're slipping into another Victorian age I'm shrugging right now what else can you do you don't want to offend it's very yes. weird man it's very weird it's a, it's a difficult time it's a time of transition and and basically we're in retrograde right now yeah yes you know, good call we, yes we seem, we seem to have been progressing for a while, but uh, it's like too much too soon. You know, I think even Obama, President Obama uh, talked about that recently, saying maybe he was 20. Maybe he should have waited 20 years before he became president. You know what I mean? Yeah, kind too of apologetically. Yeah, no, I get it. And, you're, you know, again, you're, like you said, it's, it is. It's retrograde. It's crazy. Yeah, we're in retrograde. And uh, and it, it's it's a, it's a scary time for people like me. You know, my dad was uh, active in the Democratic Party in New York, and in fact, this is in the book too. Uh, he was going to be put forward as a vice presidential nominee when uh, one one of his uh, Democratic cohorts. Uh, a fellow named Paul V. McNutt, who had been the governor of the Philippines, was going to run for president. Wow. OK, so, I mean, I I was raised in a very political atmosphere. Sure. I would say I wouldn't say radical far left. No, not at all. Democratic Party uh, left. Yeah. New Deal know. Democrat, I'm guessing that kind New of thing. Deal Democrats, right. And and so uh, I was always around very level headed uh, politicians in, in my, in my I, youth. I know what you mean. I get it. Yeah. And and yet it is the flamboyant, crazy ones. Uh, no, I don't think I have to name any names who have risen to power. Right. Right. Well, you, know. you have the best and the brightest. are like, I don't want politics. I don't want them digging up this story about my grandfather or, you know, my my poor brother that has special needs and is going to look unfavorable to, uh, and a, you know, a body politic, uh, at, you know, for whatever reasons. No. And it's sad. You're right. I mean, it's. It's uh, yeah, it's the batshit people. They're the, one, they're the ones that are running for office. They're the but only you ones. Raise, but you raise a good point when you say that uh, it, uh, people of a certain ethnicity, if they're going to be doing uh, a role like that, should be considered. I mean, sure. this is obvious. Yes. I mean, in the movies, it's even more important. You know, yes, and, absolutely. And, right, and it's become a, a, a point of contention because as the the landscape of the culture has changed. And is much more colorful and and deeper in so many ways. Uh, we have to come to grips with the fact and embrace the fact that there are uh, cultures that can now reveal themselves to us in in honest ways because they the people who represent them come from those cultures. Absolutely, you see, yep. and and that and that is something which we all need to embrace and learn from. Okay, but again, there's resistance to that from the right. Right. No, you're right. <laughs> No, you're right, man. Jeez, I mean, I know you've you've done your share of voiceovers for uh, DC and Marvel characters, superhero characters, yes, yeah. and I'm sure you're aware that my friend Brian Bendis created Miles Morales, the half black, half uh, Hispanic Spider Man. That's a ah. new Spider Man that was created in the in the early 2000s, and he's really caught on. And when the last couple Spider Man movies failed before the most recent one, people are like, yeah. why don't you give Miles Morales a chance? Well, certainly from uh, certain white parties are like uh, Spider-Man's white. End of story. And it's like, <laughs> no, man, this is a great character, and he is different from Peter Parker. He has a different backstory, and and That's it's true. and and in fact, 
of course, through the magic of comics, they met each other, and through the magic of animation, they they met each other and stuff. And, and yeah. as a real, you know, honestly, am I keeping you too long, uh, Phil? I'll, I'll wrap up if we need to. No, I, I, let's do another what five five minutes or so. That'd be Is that great. Okay? That'd be great. I, you know, I meant to ask you on the first time. It's great to have this opportunity now. When you did. Because uh, you've done a lot of superhero work for games and for animation as well. Oh yeah, and yes. and yeah, you know. So and like you were Simon Stagg for one of the uh, Batman Arkham Batman things, right? Yeah, and was the 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 villain Doctor Vidic for a uh, four of the uh, uh, Assassin's Creed record. Excellent. I mean, I mean, Assassin's Creed game. Yes, yes. So when now Assassin's Creed is its own thing, and the mythology comes from the games. When you've worked yeah. in the Marvel and DC universes, do you do you do any sort of background research? Did you look at Simon Stagg beyond the lines and say, "Oh, absolutely, absolutely." Were you a comic yeah, book reader back in the day? Oh, was I ever? Which which comics oh, did you read? I read I everything. I made Plastic Man. Fantastic, okay? excellent. <laughs> I, I read everything in Goshen. I used to hop on my bike, ride down to the drugstore. Damn straight. And, you know, and they had the comic racks, yep. spinner racks, absolutely, I, man. I, yeah, yeah, and I'd buy everything I could, you know, and then spend my summer out in the porch, you know, reading them and and enjoying the adventures. But back in New York, I became a rabid fan of the EC comics. Yes, indeed. Tales from the Crypt, all the great horror and uh, crime comics. Yeah, I, yes, I had a subscription to them, and so I would receive, you know, like first editions in the at my doorstep. Oh. My apartment building, and of course, I was a big fan of Mad and yeah. and Panic yes. and all of the other you know <laughs> spinoff. Uh, I've re- I wrote letters to the editors that are in some of the collected works. That's fantastic! Panic, that is amazing. William Gaines and Harvey Kurtzman and yeah, 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 and and of course the tragedy which I share with many many of you out there was that I had all these comics in a hamper in my bathroom, and when I went off to, uh, I think, Riverdale Country School, the high school, where I was at boarding school, my mother threw them all away. Yes. She threw them all away. All of my first edition. Now, it's not to say that I would have been smart enough (laughs) to say when I I finally moved to California, hey, mom, pack up all my comic books and send them to, you know, I probably wouldn't have. But still, it breaks my heart that I didn't have the chance you know, to to, uh, uh, to 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 do something uh, sure, with them, sure, save them or in uh, some way, man. You save them or sell them? Well, that, yeah, exactly. To eventually sell them. No, I understand. Baron Mordo, you were uh, Doctor Strange's uh, one of his villains and stuff in a Marvel yes. game. Yes, I'm uh, the evil computer in. Oh gosh, what is that game called? Uh, uh, anyway, you know, if you go uh, on to the MPTV, LSGBT, whatever it's called, the the uh, movies and television uh, website, MTV, uh, yeah, that thing. <laughs> if you Google, you Google me, you'll see that I've done thousands of things. Yeah, man. I'm looking. I, I'm on your page right now, and I'm scrolling. So no, I know exactly what you mean. And and you know, and I have. Over the years, I've kept lists of these things, but but at a certain point, it's just like you know, I just throw my hands up, uh, all uh, because it's it is so such a great body of work. You know, I've I've uh, been in the business for sixty six years. Yeah. I started when I was nine years old doing live television in New York, right? So uh, and I'm still doing stuff. Yeah, you are. So you know, it's just whew, it's it's wonderful. It's great fun. 
And I do consider myself semi-retired because I'm certainly not beating the bushes for jobs or work uh, these days. I, I appreciate greatly my time off, my time with my, my darling, talented wife, Melinda Peterson, time that I, that I can spend. We're both members of the Antius uh, Classical Theater Company. Uh, which has a brand new spanking beautiful theater in Glendale. We still like to do work on the stage cool. and she's developing, you know, she's developing a wonderful play now called, uh, uh, Hinton. Oh, wakes. Oh, what's it called? Hit, 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 anyway, it's a wonderful new play that was written in 1910 wow. about, about, uh, the mill workers in Lancashire. And, uh, and it was performed in 1912 on the West End in London. And because of the nature of the, uh, 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 of the relationship between men and women expressed in that play, Oxford forbade its students from going to see it. Wow. Because this play in 1910 really is a story of female sexual liberation and social, sexual, financial liberation. Okay, yeah. that's that's what the comedy of the of the play comes from, and it is as it, it was before they even had the vote in England. Wow. Okay, so it is as a timely now in so many ways as it was in 1910. That's fantastic. Again. That's yeah, no, I, I, ironic times exactly. Again, in retrograde, here we are. In retrograde, here we are, and it just again it emphasizes how slowly we change. <laughs> Great resistance there always is to the most important aspect of life, which is embracing change. You know, that's what keeps you sane, keeps you going. If you push against it, you're going to go crazy because, you know, it's not going to stop. Change is inevitable. Evolution is inevitable, you know, and uh, that's just the way it is. So carry on. Well, you carry on, man. And, and seriously, uh, I, I am so appreciative of the fact that you are out there. Again, I said this to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and I'm saying it to you. You guys have that unique perspective of going through the 60s culture wars and, and, yeah. and uh, bringing that perspective to today in your works and also just you know when you are off the cuff and want to give your opinions. And that's great that you're out there, man, because I really think we need that kind of perspective and understanding that uh, they say it on Battlestar Galactica, what has happened before will happen again. And uh, and right. here we are. And uh, but uh, telling your great stories. Where's my fortune cookie? Right. That's the that's the book. That's the book. Yeah. Planetproctor.com. If you want to connect up with me, uh, if you want to get uh, Planet Proctor, which I mail out, uh, it's a graphically beautiful. Collaborate with a guy named Chris Gross, and it's a beautiful piece of work. You've got to take a look at a sample of it. Planetproctor.com. And if you want to join our mailing list, it's free. And uh, you can contribute to it as well. So, will the po you know. will the podcast also be called "Where's My Fortune Cookie"? <clears throat> no, <clears throat> the planet is called Planet Proctor. Planet Proctor. There we go. Okay. Planet Proctor. Where's my fortune cookie? Okay, okay, excellent. And is it? And and it's okay. I can find out from Jeff if you don't know the particulars. Is it on like Stitcher or some other paid uh, uh, podcast network? Uh, you know, all of that I'm leaving up to Stu to Suzy's. Okay. And, and yes, and Jeff Abraham will know okay. the details about it. But you can get in touch with me. You've got my email. Of course. And, and I'll share with you whatever I learn. Uh, I've been uh, working on other projects. And uh, so now I'm turning my attention to the Here Now Festival yes. in Kansas yes. City, Missouri. 
and uh, the, the the prospect of the you know the launch of the podcast. So I'll be learning more information about it all. But you can also go to the Here Now Festival website and uh, and read about it and see pictures of me and all that good stuff. Cool. So is that on the ninth? Is that on June ninth? That uh, week from it's Saturday. June, uh, it's the sixth, seventh, and eighth. Oh, okay. So late next week. Okay. It's a four-day festival in early June. Uh, all things audio, workshops and writing uh, 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 workshops, yeah. and you know, hands-on or tongue-on uh, 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 opportunities <clears throat> to learn the techniques of narration and radio acting and uh, and being radioactive. We have a we have a similar <laughs> festival with our Chicago Public Radio called the Third Coast Festival. Oh, good. And, that, and yeah, good. they do they do great stuff as well. So no, that's great. Here and now, uh, the, yeah, we'll go to that website as well, and Here and, and, and yeah, Planet Proctor as well, and then the Fireside Theater uh, website, of course. Theater website, yeah, it's here now. H e a r. Oh, okay. Here, here now. now. Got it. Got it. How clever! All right. <laughs> so so look, keep filling those balloons with words. And, uh, my pleasure, man. Uh, keep doing what you do, and as always, truly. Whatever the next project is, you're always welcome back because you've got a, a million th- uh, stories, Phil Proctor, and I'm infinitely fascinated. So keep it up. I love I love talking to you, and I love all of your own insights and experiences as well. Always fun to share with you. Phil Proctor, check out Where's My Fortune Cookie? That's Phil's autobiography. It's available at Amazon and many fine bookstores. Pick it up. It's a great collection of stories. Also, firesigntheater.com is the place to go to hear Phil's and his group's groundbreaking comedy. So many great things and a lot of great merchandise as well. Uh, scripts and other wonderful books and collections of Firesign Theater material. And then, of course, the Proctor Podcast, theproctorpodcast.podbean.com. And the first episode is already up, but uh, more great comedy waiting for you from Phil Proctor. Thanks for listening to today's Word Balloon. I hope you enjoyed it. Again, Word Balloon is brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you, League, for your support via Patreon. It helps us out here at Word Balloon. You don't have to subscribe to Word Balloon, but if you enjoy the content that I provide each week, I hope you'll uh, help support the show and consider going to patreon.com slash wordballoon. But thank you very much for your support, League of Word Balloon listeners. More great Word Balloon for you this month. Great stuff. We've got a new episode also dropping today featuring Will Dennis, J.H. Williams, and Wendy Wright Williams, the people behind Where We Live, the incredible new anthology that supports the families and victims of the shootings in Las Vegas last year. An incredible project that was put together quickly. A lot of great creative people made this a very amazing anthology that I absolutely recommend. And uh, we get behind-the-scenes stories on that. And uh, also, uh, Will Dennis really goes into some more great uh, memories of being a wonderful editor at Vertigo. And uh, we talk a lot about other great comic creators. So I hope you'll listen to that episode as well. Will Dennis, J.H. Williams, and Wendy Wright Williams on another episode of Word Balloon that drops today. Don't forget, if you have any questions or comments, you can reach me at john at wordballoon.com. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2018.